everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Dr. Pat Ivey takes a keen interest in the mental toughness of his athletes. Through delving into his own education and research, he's learned the proper approach to building the confidence of his college-age competitors. His extensive background in football at the professional level has also served him quite well. When playing amongst the biggest bodies in the game, you can't afford to have anything less than a comparable-sized ego. Hear how he takes this theory and balances it with humility for life lessons that extend far beyond the gridiron. And per Luke's demands, I left in the guy's pointless banter about Tone Loke lyrics at the beginning of the show. All your complaints can be sent to Luke at PowerAthleteHQ.com. Here it is, episode 324. Y'all ready for this? Let's do it. I said, are y'all ready for this? Let's do it. I'm looking at you, McQuill. We need to, uh, we yes, need to cut yes, in sir, the... Yes, uh, sir, I am ready. Yeah, sure. <laughs> or yeah, sure, sir. What we need to do is cut in the tone loke. Remember uh, Wild Thing when he's like, you ready? You What's the that? other tone loke song? Uh, Wild Thing. I know. Uh, funky Cold Medina? Yes. <laughs> the Funky Cold Medina. Uh, you don't remember Never in, in my life have I in, heard this song. In the, what? In the opening line when he goes, toot, 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 let's do it. Yeah. And that's like the opening fucking line in his... Uh, um, in the, pull that tone loke. You don't know funky fucking t- cold Medina. Uh, I uh, put in tone loke. Let's do it. L O C. But isn't y'all ready for this? No, no. What does he say? Let's like the do Mortal it. Kombat song. No, that's um. That's that's uh, uh sand versus uh a blade blade versus sandstorm. So what does he say? He goes uh, tone loke. Let's do it. That's the opening fucking line in uh in Wild Thing, isn't it? Ah, it's something. Go to Tone Loke Wild Thing lyrics. Hang on. Who taught you how to Google, man? It's awful. Isn't it? Don't go. Don't you want to back? <laughs> Not in this office, sir. We practice our keyboarding four days a week. Don't tweet text. Don't tweet. Do you know Home Row? Do you know Home you Row? You know how to piss you off. You know that. Look at it. The opening line is, let's do it. Working all week, nine to five. What is the very first? Money. What is the very first line say? But let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Power Athlete <laughs> Nation. It's time for another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing, ing. Ing. I'm actually wearing my Ing 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 shirt. That is correct. For John, the podcast. Are. So if you guys know that we actually have, I mean, legitimately have podcast shirts that say Ing Ing Ing. That's right. On them. Shop.powerathletehq.com. Go out there and... Uh, if you want the shirt that John's wearing right now, that can be arranged. Just put it in the notes, the order notes, and we'll have our girl Ashley come oh, down the here exact shirt and but, strip it off the big guy. But they're double X's, so you got to be willing to wear a double X. That's right. But and you'd have to you have to live with his musk, if you can handle that, ladies. <laughs> if you want to get a little bit of John Wellborn musk, or you could buy Texas shirt. Well, yeah, and all proceeds go to Wade's Army. Mm-hmm. Mine are, my shirt, my sleeves are slightly ripped because, as is tradition, I get an XL and I tailor the sleeves to a medium so they get a little bit of fray on them when you do you a double like, sleeve like, swap. Like Rudy Reyes style, you just tailor up and cut up all your shirts? Yeah, get a nice taper in there. It makes you look a lot more fit than you are. What, what I liked is that Rudy actually cut the sides and then he tied them up like little like bow ties so he could actually like fine-tune how it fit on his Ooh. midsection. Oh. Rudy took that medium with the XL sleeve and he filled out the sleeves. Interesting. So good shirt swap, sleeve swap. Yeah, but he does 1,000 center mass bell curls a day, and I'm only down to like 700. 10 a week. I, thought 10 a week. Were, I thought you were at 750 a week. <laughs> 10 a week. 10 a week. I've been doing mostly, uh, what have I been doing? Calf raises. <laughs> Remember, Tex? Remember that calf raise video I sent you? Do you? I took it. 
Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. You took calf raises? No, we were filming our active foot back squat, bilateral hinge, and just uh, Luke's calves were popping. So I zoomed oh, in. Thanks, pal. Hmm. You, know, you, know, you know what that's like. He, right? uh, I thought I, he was going to send it to you, John, but I guess he just kept it, it for himself. I only saved that for his birthday Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be the Christmas. <laughs> no, Christmas mornings. like, I sent you a video. Merry Christmas, John. And then all the, get, you know, his daughter's like uh, framed pictures of the calf. Well, Jamie gets present. one and Kelly gets the other yep, calf. Yep, uh, exactly. That's good. It's but good. who's going to get left, right? I don't know. But uh, what are we talking about here today? I told them that they should never respect any men that's shorter than me. That's so, a good. That's so, good brainwashing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel it. I sense it when we <laughs> yeah. we play old maid and chess, and they just talk trash to you. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But see, text. You just don't know how to fight back. Sometimes you got to push a seven-year-old girl around, <laughs> <laughs> especially a well-born girl. I don't care with your seven kid. And then you need, you know, a certain yeah. dominance. Yeah, I hope you skinned your knee and hurt yourself. <laughs> don't listen to this, Kate. Um, ladies and gentlemen, on to more important subjects. Speaking of seven-year-old children and developing child and youth athletes and even athletes in their teens, do you have that coach's lens to truly unlock athletic potential? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But right now, today, at academy.powerathletehq.com, we are enrolling for semester 10 of the Boom. Power Athlete Academy. Well, Boom. Power Athlete Methodology course. Level one. Boom. That is correct, people. And listen, maybe this is your first time hearing about it. Let me tell you something. And if it's not, listen, we are talking about the most epic at your own pace online learning experience that we are aware of. Am I wrong, Tex? You are not wrong. Tell us about it. The Power Athlete Methodology course. So we designed this to develop as a coach as your athletes develop. So we take principles of strength and conditioning, and we teach you movement, not movements. Our objective is to put you in a position to teach kids to be better athletes and truly unlock their athletic potential for whatever sport they're playing. So our approach to movement, it's applicable to volleyball, basketball, lacrosse, football, whatever your kids or student athletes are into. Mm-hmm. This program is designed to you to lead a weight room and then take them where they cannot take themselves. So 44 lessons. We got a kick-ass workbook. I hardly rec- I highly recommend the hardcover. Mm-hmm. And so you can hold on to it and take notes into it and, you know, write all over it. But it's which a, is impossible to do with a paperback, which is possible. But as well, but you roll but a hard no, book up like cone you, and yell at somebody. But you can't yell use your the athletes? paperback yeah. as a weapon. You could if you the hardback you can use as a weapon. Like well, a the paperback doesn't leave a bruise. So exactly. if you're coaching John's daughters, you want the hardcover. <laughs> what do you think I hit him with? <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, we're jokes. Yeah, jokes. Uh, but here's the thing: the methodology is tried and true. First off, it's from John's experience. It's from all of the feedback we get from the, the training program, specifically with Bedrock. And then now we have over 100 coaches applying well, this methodology in their gyms day in and day out. That and also the 10 years that we traveled all over the world and offering programming and working with athletes. I mean, what you're really seeing with the methodology is the culmination of uh, not only the 30 years of my training experience, but all of the trials and tribulations and victories and losses and wins and just information from not only uh, coaching hundreds of seminars um, you know, through CrossFit football and what we do here at Power Athlete, but also uh, all of like the information and people we've had on the podcast and connected from like Fred Hatfield and here. I mean, like just the the 
depth of information and people which we're pulling through from the methodology is like the deepest of wells. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I know actually, I'm not even going to say, I think, uh, any of the, you know, industry standard type people, any of the people that really are setting the curve today from like the Ron McKeefries and, you know, the Brett Bartholomew's and, um, you know, Zach Evanesh's and Brian Mann and, you know, just like, you know, the guy we're having on the podcast today is another one, like, you know, taking and, you know, putting a program together that the people that are generally considered the best right now in the strength and conditioning game have, you know, gone through the program, looked at it and thought, man, not only is this needed, this is awesome. And we're, we're really stoked to be associated with what you guys are doing. And the highlight of all those guys that John mentioned is they communicate on the effectiveness and the tools that equips you with to apply the information. Yeah. And it's this an, is something we touch on today in, in the podcast with Pat Ivy is the separation of, Right, the, the book, what specifically is taught, and then as soon as you get into the chaos of a weight room or training an athlete and the infinite things that you truly have to prepare them for, not that one focused piece of that paragraph from that research or that book, mm-hmm. it, it is armed to make you a battle-tested coach to prepare for really any situation within that, whether it's arguing with parents, coaches, or getting buy-in from that athlete because of performance outside of the weight room that is then unlocked. And it's your first step. Should you satisfactorily, satisfactorily, satisfactorily? No, satisfactorily, satisfactorily. Just say it fast and nobody Satisfactorily pass the oh, course. If you receive the, a grade that of satisfactory. A satisfactory grading outcome of this course. It is your first step in qualification to get invited to come out to the Power Athlete Ranch and test with our staff and enter into the block one coaches network, which is upwards of 120, 125 folks right now. And these are individuals that we're interfacing with every single day. Myself, John Tex, and our other head coaches were on the phone with these cats and we're working with them and we're getting to see real time them apply this information and test it. And it's just a fucking awesome, awesome group to be a part of. Right? So academy.powerathletehq.com Get out there. Get going. Give it a try. Let us know if you have any questions. You could always hit us up at academy at powerathletehq.com, and uh, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. But enough about us. Enough about this amazing learning opportunity for our listeners. Enough about this ing, ing, ing strength and conditioning shirts. Ing. Ing. Enough about... Is it weird that every time somebody says strength and conditioning... Ing. Ing. All of a sudden, either I say ing or I hear ing, ing in my head. It's almost like Pavlov's dog. Yes, it is. Enough of the ings. Yeah, enough of this bantering. (sighs) Without further ing ado. (laughs) Well, hang on, and let's just not forget that John's a height supremacist and uh, will often poke fun at the short people at the table throughout this whole episode Uh, with our towering and very handsome guest, Pat Ivey. Yeah, 6'5". I mean, uh, not only is he very well manicured, I I told you guys, like... He's polished, dude. Dude, like, super polished, well manicured. Like, I don't know how, like, that goatee... Like, you almost have to have, like something like a template that you put on or you get that t- it's <laughs> fucking impressive I think it just grows imperfect mm, it's possible sharp dude great conversation about what's going on in NCAAs um, about the psychology of coaching Pat's at uh, Louisville right yeah. and he's administrative administ- or associate uh, AD 
and he's overseeing like mental health, nutrition, all sorts of great stuff. Like he is connecting all the elements that make yeah, student from, athletics a successful program. From not only academics, but uh, the the mental. I mean, oversees and, all that and nutrition. Which and nutrition, I think, was pretty cool. He, he even said he he's like I even oversee the cooks for the training table. Yes, which I think is good. Yeah, dude. So great talk. Let's get into it with Pat Avi. Let's go. Thought you were gonna say let's do it. Let's do it. Now we gotta drop let's that. Do it. Can we drop that hook in? Listen, Cowie. If you don't fucking include that initial music banter, you're dead to us. And don't you fucking chop it and put it at the end. We coming hot with this one. Coming in hot. Let's do it. Well, Pat, first off, man, thanks for thanks for taking the time to hop on Power at the Radio with us. Um, you know, for our listeners, my mom and dad and, you know, like my aunt and uncle and just basically immediate family, the eight of our siblings that all dial in. Uh, could you give them a little bit of background on yourself? And then I'm, I'm sure we'll get that'll dig us in and get us going on plenty of stuff to talk about. Yeah, a little bit of background. Wow. Um, <laughs> I always start where I'm from just because I have a lot of pride. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, the Motor City. Uh, and I um, had a great time growing up there, good family, and eventually wanted to leave. So I chose the University of Missouri to go to school. I played football as a Division One athlete and I had a lot of success in college. Uh, not as much as I wanted to have. I, I don't think anyone does. But it was good enough. It was good enough. I graduated uh, with a degree in uh, hotel and restaurant management. So my goal was to be a professional athlete and own my own restaurant. Nice. All right. So I did go on to be a professional athlete. I was signed as a free agent with the San Diego Chargers, played defensive end. And I had probably, you know, three and a half year career. I spent time with four different NFL teams. And it was great. It was uh, it was fantastic. And somewhere towards the end of that career, my strength and conditioning coaches in college, uh, Donnie Summer, who's at TCU, and Dave Toe, who's the head special teams coach at uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and Bob Jones, who's the head strength and conditioning coach at William Woods University. Uh, those are my college strength and conditioning coaches, and they thought I would make a good coach. They, some, there was something that they saw, and they made the offer that if uh, one day when football was over, that I, I would be welcomed into the weight room to work with them. So I was hired as a graduate assistant and that started my coaching career. And, uh, you know, for 20 years, I, I was a strength and conditioning coach. I love the weight room. I love coaching athletes. I love relationships and people and just helping people to maximize their human potential. And I look for every, I try to turn over every rock to unlock potential because I had the chance to train with the best. And, and the best, I mean, back-to-back Super Bowl champions, the, the, that type of caliber of athletes and people, for me, I just wanted to try to create and foster that kind of environment that could uh, produce championship people. 
and uh, so, and now I'm in administration. I, I oversee the areas of strength and conditioning here at the University of Louisville. I oversee sports performance, sports medicine, mental health, mental performance, sports nutrition, sports science, uh, the dining hall staff, executive chefs, as well as uh, working with all of the physicians uh, and doctors. So it's, a, it's an exciting, it's a new position. It's one that I've been working towards for a long time. And uh, man, every day is a challenge. It's, it's awesome. Nice, man. Yeah, that sounds like the first of its field. Is there any other schools with this type of position that you can learn from? Or are you blazing your own path here? There are a little bit of both. There are a few schools that have this type of position, but everyone, I would say, it's tailor-made to that university. I, I feel like this one here was tailor-made to me, and I, I just focus on athlete, student-athlete health and performance and safety. That's it. That, that's all I do. I'm in some uh, pretty high-level meetings with all of the administration. So I kind of uh, bridge the gap of communication and just try to make sure we're providing great care and, and collaborating with campus, the community, and and with each other. Man, I can like, I can just imagine me as a student at that age, just no appreciation for the amount of work that probably the administration went through to just keep us healthy and safe at our school. I went to a little D3 school in uh, outside Chicago, Illinois, but man, I was just an idiot, you know, 18 year old kid, but you I used to be, well, now I'm a 36 year old male okay. man. Idiot. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, idiot. yeah, the idiot part hasn't changed, but Pat, I, the, sorry, long winded way to lead into, uh, are the kids picking up on these changes? Like, is it something that they see the change in the effort that's going into health, wellness and safety? There has been, so many positive changes here. Um, I think they just associate it as just part of the culture that we're uh, continuing to build on and um, establish here um, under uh, the leadership of Vince Tyree, um, our athletics director. So I think they just they just they're just going with the flow. They see new they're seeing lots of new faces, and um, they're they're embracing. Um, all of us, all of the athletes, I actually get a chance to work out with the football team. I'll go over once a week and jump in a lifting group. And Mike Seriano, head strength coach with football, uh, always welcomes me over because, you know, that's where I spend a lot of my time. Uh, Jason Dierking, who oversees Olympic sports, I go over all the time and always mixing it up with the staff and Matt Summers, the head athletics trainer. It's just awesome to be around really good people, high level people, and just trying to help them you know, do their jobs and what they love to do. And I mean, you know, you're a big dude, strong dude. So it's probably nice to go in and remind these kids, like what real manhood's all about, like what you could aspire to be. Like John tries to do with Tex and I every day in the, uh. the gym <laughs> as we were struggling on 285 with football bar. And then John just did it for 12 reps uh. real fast. <laughs> yeah. I believe the quote was, I haven't done 12s in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> John still got it. I can tell. Uh, yeah, no, I, I still like to lift weights. I mean, I, I feel like the day that I stop, it's just the wheels are going to fall off. And um, I was telling, actually, I was telling our, our intern TC yesterday, uh, you know, when I retired, you know, obviously, you know, due to injury and getting banged up. And I remember uh, we were traveling a bunch and all of a sudden, like I had this like weird back injury and I'd never had any back injuries, never had any back pain. 
Um, and all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, I went to the doctor and they're like, you know, it could be this and this and, you know, let's get an MRI and an X-ray. And I was like, no, I, I really don't want to know like what's going on. Uh, just because of all the studies I've read that sometimes, you know, self-fulfilling prophecies. And actually I talked to Stu McGill on the phone and he was like, man, I want you to go out and get underneath like the heaviest weight you can squat for like one, you know, one to three reps. And so I showed TC the, I think I went out and squatted like a five, you know, five ten, and I hadn't squatted in a while. And I did this real slow single and, uh, my back has never hurt since I did that. And mm. I still go in and lift weights. And I think it's like, I'm just petrified, man, that the wheels are going to fall off. And like, I was also thinking with like, you know, seeing you and Kaz present at Summer Strong, um, it's really hard to get up and like talk about, you know, um, uh, you know, attention to detail and like, you know, like living a code and like going to it and, um, you know, getting up and trying to influence and lead and, you know, inspire people and be an out of shape motherfucker. <laughs> and like, and like, you know, the deal, like, you know, you right. stand up in front of these kids, you go in and train them, you're talking to them and they see this dude and they're like, man, this guy played in the NFL. He's still pretty switched on. It's pretty, still pretty put together. And, you know, as like an 18, 19, 20 year old kid, like uh, I had coaches that were in good shape and I had coaches that were in terrible shape. And I remember mm -hmm. the coaches, you know, during summer training camp, they're out there screaming at us and you're like, yeah, your fat ass is almost going to die out here. And so, like, that's a big thing for us is like, you know, uh, if I, if, you know, if my house isn't in order, how am I supposed to tell somebody else? you know, to get theirs in. And, uh, I was laughing a little bit when you mentioned Dave Tobe, uh, he was our yeah. assistant, um, you know, special teams coach in Philly. And now he's with Andy over in Kansas city. But yeah, that was, I chuckled a little bit when you said he was always a, a super nice dude. I didn't even know he was a strength coach. So he was awesome strength. He was a national strength and conditioning coach of the year. Was he really? Uh, oh oh yes. He was cutting edge. There, there are things that we did under his uh, leadership that many people, as I would discover, they wouldn't be doing for another 10 years. There were, there were, there were things that we were doing. It was cutting edge. Wow. Uh, and, and you're right about, you know, working out and keeping yourself together. Uh, it, I, for me, it's something I have to do. I feel better when I'm lifting weights and I, and getting under the bar is something that, that keeps me feeling good and it keeps my body feeling good. It keeps me emotionally and mentally feeling good. And, it's something that I know is important to me. I don't, I don't want to fall apart. I know I would, if I stopped training, I would just fall apart for me. It keeps me emotionally stable. And that's for me, that's important in, in this, in this job, uh, in the role I'm in where it seems like it's critical to work. I don't care if it's just a hundred pushups or a hundred sit-ups. Um, and, and it's, I have to do it. Uh, when I work out with the team, I, I, um, it's, it, Thursday is squat day. So I go over on Thursdays and, uh, I had, I had a few plates on the bar and went to breakfast with some of the players afterwards. And they're like, Hey, uh, I asked them to call me Dr. Pat. I was like, I, I couldn't figure out what else to have them call me. I was like, just call me Dr. Pat. And he's like, Dr. Pat, how much weight do you have on the bar? I said, you know, when you've been lifting and training as long as I do, you just count plates. You don't count weights. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, man. It, it becomes, um, you know, like part of the, of the routine and the mindset. And it's kind of what you always did. And it kind of keeps you connected and grounded. And I'm sure you've run into the same thing I have when you run into like ex teammates or you talk to people and like you see them and you're like, dude, man, like, uh, yeah. I mean, like there's, um, like you look at them and you can remember how they used to look or yeah. like, you know, them as high performers and you see them now and you're like, dude, uh, like w whatever this is, this don't look good. And right. like, like you need to get back to it. But I sometimes think that, um, 
if you don't create your own reality, you know, somebody else will create it for you. And like, you know, like, you know, you're still in a collegiate setting. I mean, the environment we've created around here is based upon this. And that's why I sucker these guys to show up every morning at 6 a.m. Uh, but I think sometimes uh, players, when they get done playing, you know, like, um, as you know, uh, you know, you don't get to necessarily leave on your terms. The NFL just kind of hands you your shit and tells you to get out. And next thing you know, you're looking around and you're like, you know, where's my staff? Where's my friends? Where's my, you know, where's all the amenities? Like where, you know, where's the time? And all of a sudden you're left up to your own devices. And so you have to go create that reality. And I think a lot of guys really struggle because uh, they don't have the process in place and they haven't necessarily armed themselves with the process that it takes to be successful because, you know, as you know, a lot of guys are just super gifted. And they just, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I was really just kind of reflecting before this on, you know, the talk that you and Kaz gave at uh, at Summer Strong and that whole thing about, you know, having a process of like, you know, understanding and training and being, you know, cognizant of what you're doing every step instead of just, you know, the Forrest Gump just, you know, following the feather. And I think, uh, you know, when I retired, um, I knew that I had to continue doing something similar to what I was doing because it was. You know, it's all I'd ever known. And, you know, you can mm-hmm. add a cerebral part and do all these other things. But I'm sure for you, man, going over and training with the kids and putting yourself in that environment and, you know, like talking a little bit of trash, but not too much uh, <laughs> where you're like, like, like you don't really want to give it to them yet. But like, uh, you know, and it's it, it keeps you young, it keeps you grounded and keeps you in the constant fight. I um, as I was sitting there listening to you talk about your position, all I could think of is. I wonder how far things have evolved from, you know, when we were in college and having a position like that till today, it just feels like a long time coming. Mm-hmm. It, absolutely. Uh, you know, and these areas have grown so much. You think about nutrition, how much that's grown in the last 10, it was non-existent 20 years ago, except for at Nebraska, maybe one other, one other school, uh, maybe a few other schools. And, uh, the mental side has grown is, is, is the next way people are really starting to staff the athletic departments with, uh, counselors, mental, um, health experts, um, sports psychologists. And, and that's an area that's growing a lot. Sports scientists, because of the technology is growing at such a rapid pace and you need someone to coordinate all of these services that has an understanding and a background be able to speak their language and just understand the challenges uh, that go on with the, the, those areas that serve the student athletes. So, yeah, it's definitely, I, I have something on my desk, John, you just made me remember. Um, and I don't actually have it. I don't have uh, who, who wrote this, but uh, it talks about the 13 habits of ultra successful people. And it says, number one is they focus on minutes, not hours. And, and I find myself in the in this role, in this position of trying to maximize every minute. It's, it's a lot to do. There are a lot of people I oversee. And uh, I was this one was hard today, but the next number two is they focus only on one thing at a time. A lot of times because of the way our phones and technology is, we want to just go from this to that to this to that. And um, so today I was working on something I, I really had to use that says they don't use to do list. I don't quite understand this one because I have I, I don't know how I, I, I've tried not to use a to do list and things pile up. So I don't know what to do. Uh, I kind of disagree on the uh, because I'm a big list guy. Um, whether I, I find that if I can make a list and I can start ticking them off at least the next day, uh, you know, and I, and I, I I've read like. 
50 people talk about to against to do lists that like, you know, if you don't complete them, there's anxiety and the next day going yeah. in, it's not, for, I completely disagree. Like if I don't make a to do list, like all of a sudden I'll look down and be like, shit, I got three more things to do. And like, I put yeah. too much time in this. So I love them. I mean, I think lists are great. And maybe that's the athlete, the athlete in us. We, we, we have things to get done and we thrive on that pressure. Yeah. And maybe we, maybe that's what it is. You got to get a job done. And, uh, you know, then you're able to lock in, you know, uh, and uh, especially being a pro athlete, John, you, you know, it's, if you perform and you go home and, uh, and sometimes you can get used to that pressure and want that pressure and, and need that pressure. So uh, said they beat procrastination with tr- time travel. So um, still got to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, this was this uh, list was written before uh, social media and mobile phones. <laughs> I, I find like uh, like procrastinating, like, you know, like on like social media or something like I'll click yeah. through. And then like next thing you know, I'm like in this vortex where I've wasted like 10 minutes yeah. looking at like yeah. absolutely nothing or people's comments. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, you know, you almost Crazy. need like an electric shock somewhere like, a, you know, a cuff on you, you know, on your arm that shocks you like, OK, you've had four minutes enough. Get back. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, uh, all right, they make it home for dinner. That that that's not a problem. I can tell, John, for you, yeah. you know, me either. Uh, uh, dude, I, use- I read a Harvard study years ago that said um, that families that eat dinner at least four nights a week together as a family, their kids yeah. have like an eighty-seven percent time, uh, like like better chance of like going to college and graduating and like a four-year degree and like all like wow. it, it was like the difference between. Uh, your kids like going on and being successful and graduating from college and your kids like, like, like not being successful was like four nights a week dinner. So like, it's a big thing for us is like we sit down to dinner almost every night and have dinner. That's, so that's old school, but still, man, if you can, yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, six, they use a notebook. They'll write for their down. to-do lists. Uh, uh, shit. Uh, notes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they process emails only a few times a day. Yeah. I, you, I fucked that one up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I fucked that one they, up. They avoid meetings at all cost. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Are we meeting now? Yeah. Is this is, yeah I don't know. <laughs> this they, is meeting this, of minds. I, I, this is, yeah. They, uh, they say no to almost everything. Yeah, that one doesn't work around here. No, <laughs> we have this deal where you just say yes to everything, and I uh, usually figure out like because um, I I figured out, and th- this came from as an NFL player, uh, I figured the more stuff I said yes to, the better places I was going to go. So like wow. I always figured like I I wasn't going to get into like any, and I've told these guys for years like some just some interesting stories that I ended up in, and just being like, how did that happen? Like I think I just agreed to go somewhere. And next year, because I, I never knew what I was going to get myself into. So it just figured like I just had to get there and then we'll just see what happens. Mm-hmm. I figured the one place I wasn't ever going to get laid was at home by myself. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about this one? They follow the 80 20 rule. What is the 80 20 rule? I think um, for diet. Well, I think it would be as it comes to like presenting solutions or going for a project that if you start to achieve a hundred percent compliance or success 
you get a law of diminishing returns and it takes so much time and resource to get to 100% that really it's more economical to provide an 80% solution. Yeah, we, we talk about that 80% solution a lot. Like, hey, if it, if it takes me X amount of hours to get to 80, but it doubles my time to get to 100, Bingo. then it becomes mm-hmm. a diminishing, yeah, diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. That's good. They delegate almost everything. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, how much, I mean, do you, like in, in your job, I'm sure, you know, a huge part of what you do is delegation and making sure that everybody's on task. But yeah. like at the end of the day, like, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like, uh, at least the way you explained your job, it just felt, um, like just coordinating a lot of people that are, uh, how do I put this? Like administrators in college are pretty interesting. And I remember, especially like the athletic administrators, because I always felt like there was a huge disconnect. Like, um, I mean, uh, like trying to explain to them that like, hey, uh, maybe training table all year round or maybe more than one meal just during the season would be a better idea if there was more training table. Like that was a huge mm-hmm. one that we argued with. And, and they were like, well, you know, like uh, and then explaining to people that like, you know, our scholar, I mean, I, I, I don't remember what your scholarship or I don't know what your scholarship was, but I remember ours was like 740 bucks and my rent was like 475 and my parents kicked me an extra 300 bucks. So I had about a grand to spend a month. And I remember like having that like 500 and like $555 and going to Costco and buying as much food as I could get for, for 30 days. And then I remember other guys that were like, uh, I can just go to McDonald's twice a day and I can spend like $4, $5. And like different people did these economic things. And I just remember thinking like, you have these guys that are going to be professional, potential professional athletes playing at the highest level for college. And they're like, uh, I'm going to try to feed myself on $6 a day because if not, I'm not going to be able to make it. And like, mm-hmm. I just remember being like, um, why not training table like more than you're, and that was like a huge problem they fought us on. And now right. it's like kind of fun. I mean, it, it's universally true. Everybody has training table all year round now. Right. Right. So, I yeah. mean, but you remember a time when that wasn't the norm. And I just remember right. like the administrator, uh, administrators pushing back and being like, well, you guys should have plenty of money to eat and being like, right. ah, dudes are eating top ramen, you know? Right. And it just, yeah. And I, like, I remember like sitting in like a player's, because they, they had this like administrator players council where we would come and like bring grievances to them. And I just mm-hmm. remember thinking like, fuck, these people are so out of touch, mm-hmm. you know? So it, I can, I can definitely see that, you know, if I don't leave my office or this building, I don't think I'll see an athlete all day. And, and so you can come to work, work in athletics and not see an athlete all day. And, and, uh, so you have to make an effort that you, your emails pile up, the phone calls are coming in, the texts are coming in. You, there's a lot of face to face, but you have to put it on your calendar. Like, okay, at three o'clock, I'm going to leave the office and go to practice, go to a different practice every day and get around some athletes, be around coaches. It's, uh, you know, some people get caught up in what their specific job duties are, but you have to understand this is about people, you know, and for me, I, that's something I, I can feel that pull because even if you're, if you're, if you're a competitor, a lot of people working in athletics are competitors. And so they want to be the best they can be at their job. But sometimes you think your job nowadays is coming to you on a computer. Like my job is literally between the computer and the printer as far as what I have to get done today. So if I don't remember to, to, to leave this office and get out and see some coaches and some athletes, you will become disconnected. Like it will pull you in that direction towards numbers. Like it's numbers on one side, relationships on the other. 
and you'll get caught up in the numbers. And it's, 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 so having been on this side now, I can see how it can happen, but I know what's on the other side. So I know I can't let that happen. Um, what's, yeah, so. what's the biggest, I mean, um, I'm sure there's a million of them, but I keep thinking like, like, you know, having, um, an extremely, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I hate to say like clairvoyant, but like really just having been, uh, a student athlete and then, you know, getting in, working in, you know, going to the NFL, playing in college and then going on and then coming back and being as a strength coach. I mean, you've seen this like full spectrum. I just wonder, uh, like what are the biggest challenges facing young student athletes today that we didn't see 20 years ago or, you know, 20 plus years ago. Um, like I, I like just case in point, I saw a deal today where, uh, um, like, uh, you know, with social media and kids posting stuff and this and kid, you know, it just, it, it, it feels like there's such a uh, bigger microscope on these kids. Mm-hmm. So I just wonder like, what's the biggest challenges you're finding today? I think there's so much information available to them, but I think we also have to give them credit because they have to survive in this environment. And just remember, just, when, when social media first started taking off, what was it, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, and we were spending a lot of time educating athletes, okay, this is what you can tweet. We, we were trying to figure out what, what, what was the correct terminology to use. This is what you can tweet. This is what you shouldn't tweet. These, this is what's going to be, could possibly be used against you one day. Um, I think they, we don't have those talks now. We don't, we don't educate them on uh, the social media like we had to seven or eight years ago. They've adapted and adjusted and evolved because of those that made mistakes before them, the older brothers and sisters that made the older cousins that made those mistakes. And even themselves, if they, they, maybe they made the mis- mistakes back in elementary school. They probably had social media in elementary school, some of these athletes now. And so they've learned how to uh, manage it. So I think we have to also give, we just have to give them credit for how they're able to evolve. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot coming at them, but the one one thing that hasn't changed is the the work. I mean, that doesn't change. You have to work to get better. And sometimes maybe it conflicts with what society is kind of messaging. Uh, Maybe you don't, maybe um, you don't have to, you Maybe society's message sometimes says you don't have to work as hard or maybe things should be more equal in this area. But on the field, on the court, in the pool, in the weight room, a 45-pound plate weighs 45 pounds. Uh, (laughs) Running up a hill is still hard to do. Uh, You know, those things don't change. So reality, they have to still deal with reality no matter what society is is what's coming at them uh from a society and and their environment well the um hierarchies will never go away in sports i mean i you know i uh, something that um you know one of our required readings for uh for our interns is like uh jordan peterson's you know 12 uh rules to live by and um i think it's pretty fascinating and um i did a talk at birth fit uh, actually, I had to leave Summerstone to go speak at BirthFit, 
And they asked me, you know, like, what do you hope for your kids? And I always hope for, you know, quality of opportunity. I think everybody should be afforded the, the same opportunities in life. You know, what I don't want is a quality of outcome where, you know, now you have to adjust things so that everybody's outcome is fair because that's never been, right. you know, that's not real, the real world, and that's not sports. I mean, sports right. will always have hierarchies, as you know. I mean, there's always going to be players that are better and people that are more gifted in this, and that's right. just the way it works. There's going to be people right. that work harder, and there's people that are lazy asses. And um, that is a really interesting piece where you kind of are, we're stuck in this little bit of a society where everybody's trying to get this equality of outcome. I mean, I was just reading a ton of stuff about, you know, the women's professional soccer, equal pay to the men. And, you know, hey, you know, we want this uh, equality of outcome. And their money is based off of like FIFA and television deals. And based mm-hmm. off of the television deal, I just saw the, the men's team gets roughly paid 7% of the contract where women, the women's team gets paid like 25 to 40%. Uh, I forgot the exact number of the FIFA contract. So like mm-hmm. they get a higher percentage of revenue, but because their contract is worth 30 million and not 400 million, the money mm-hmm. is just, you know, the, the, the salaries are kind of off. And right. so like looking at this, like, yeah, should there be equal pay? Uh, of course. But at the end of the day, like, you know, how do you make things equal when there's just naturally always going to be hierarchies in this thing? And I think for like the kids, you know, especially in your situation, you know, mm-hmm. you're coming in and like teaching them being like, you know, ideally all we can ever promise you is a quality of opportunity that everybody's you know, going to show up here as a freshman. Everybody's going to live in the dorms. You're all going to have the same opportunity to get where you need to go. It's predicated on your ability to execute and you know, how far you can push it. Right. Well, I just hired a director position. And in that position, I was hiring the best qualified candidate. Like it was extremely competitive. Like that, that's what, so as <laughs> here, a lot of times in school, I was telling my daughter this the other day, I was like, for, for how many years we teach our kids to be the, in, in our, as students to be quiet in class, sit down, be quiet. And then all of a sudden in life, it's like, <laughs> we need you to speak up. Yeah. Make some so noise. Like, make some, like, uh, does anyone have an opinion on this? Yeah. Does anyone have anything else to say? It's like, <laughs> we trained them to be, sit there and be quiet and receive them and, and receive information and just take it and then output the information on paper or on a, on a computer taking a test. And then they graduate one day. And then all of a sudden we're saying, okay, now present yourself well, professionally, written, verbal, body language, and lead. (laughs) You know, uh, where's the connection? Yeah, but where's the connection? But you're in a different situation because I know you're a lot like me where I don't trust anybody to educate my children other than me. Um, like I have a real big deal that, you know, my God, uh, I tell my daughters all the time that you go to school to test the information at which we've learned. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not depending upon the schools and the teacher to educate you in the things that I think like, like, uh, th- my kids know how to read. I mean, we work on things. We constantly are working on these things because I feel like if they have to go to school and wait for somebody to teach them to do something, then I didn't do my job. And, uh, like that idea of like, yeah, I mean, I talk about it all the time. Like you need to listen to be able to bring in information that if your mouth is moving the whole time, then the ears are closed, but you have to be able to take that information and then be able to, you know, turn it back and verbalize it. And, um, I think, uh, you know, um, my master's in education was really interesting in that we analyzed 
you know, like the uh, American uh, education system as like, you know, something just trying to educate workers within the Henry Ford, you know, assembly line cog. Like, can we get them trained people in, the, in this way? And it's not necessarily designed to create these kind of explosive, you know, free thinkers. And the people that have been successful are the people that work outside the box and are have are influenced in you know by people that understand you know uh, that there needs to be a paradigm shift. Like I'm sure for for your daughter, you're like stand up and tell me what you think, because mm-hmm. one day somebody's going to ask you that, and if you don't tell them, then they're going to tell you what to think. And and that's why I think sports is so important. You know, m- maybe in classroom that's the way it has to be to learn the information. That's why it's important to, to that to me, that's why sport is important because now here's a setting where you get to practice your leadership skills, your, 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 how you vote, verbalize yourself, how you present yourself. Uh, it's it, to me, that's why being around sport is so amazing. And, and, um, I, I know, um, physical education, uh, was, was, taken out of the schools and the there there we found other ways to to make up for that but you know to me that's why sport is so important with um how i put this um having been an intelligent individual and, and observing the way this works and having been on multiple sides uh you understand how to play the game um, as you know, for your kids and especially in this, you know, setting in which we are, uh, do you feel, uh, the need to kind of educate your children and the people around you, like, especially young student athletes are being like, here is, uh, you know, here's what people are going to show you. Here's the deck of cards they are going to show you, but here's the game that's really being played. And you, you know, and I know that, you know, hearing you speak and listen to some of the podcasts and what, like you're a sharp cat and you, uh, uh, you make no illusions about it. You're like me. I'm a realist. And um, mm-hmm. I really wish I could paint these glory, you know, these wonderful pictures for people. But at the end of the day, like I, I know the way the game is played. And my biggest service, I like to say, is being honest with people and being like, hey, man, I would much rather have everybody honest with me and let me make my own decision than painting, you know, beautiful pictures. So I wonder, especially in the situation you're at today, are you still able to uh, allow people some peeks behind the curtain? Say that one more time, John. Like like a little peek behind the curtain, and you know, kind of shoot people straight on like, hey man, this is how the game's played, and this is this is what you need to get out of this. <laughs> what's What's funny is I'm I'm writing a book right now, and um, it's called "What Are You Leaving on the Table." So, and the first line is says, "If you don't know the game, you're going to get played." Hmm. And uh, I, I actually had a chance to, to uh, present to a few athletes about three weeks ago um, as part of their summer orientation. They were incoming freshmen. And I just went through the outline with them and they loved it. They loved it. I, I, I just wanted to kind of test my ideas to see if these are things they would be interested in knowing. And they loved it. They, they you know, yes, you're here to, to play this sport. Yes, you're here to get a degree. But here are a lot of opportunities that a lot of athletes miss because they are only focused on their sport most of the time and then their academics when they have to be. And there's there's relationships, there's choosing the right path, uh, deciding what you want to do after you're done playing the sport so that you can actually get into that, you can get into that department at the university and take the right coursework 
based on, you know, what your purpose and what your why is. If you, you know, if you can connect what you believe, your, what your identity is and what your why is, then you can figure out what you want to do after sport. Then you can start taking the classes that you're actually going to care about and, 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 and actually enjoy learning that information because you see how it connects. You mean everybody's um, not going to play 10 years in the NFL? Everybody's even if you do, <laughs> even if you do, John, yeah. even if you do, how old are you when you're done? 32 years old. Right. Yeah, and 32 that's years old. And, and so you got another good 30 years of trying to figure out what you're going to do next. Yeah. So if you don't begin with the end in mind, then you're going to find yourself. Okay. After that 10 year career, like now what? Yeah. Now what, what do I do now? So, uh, for, they love that, 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 uh, that, you know, um, that, that information I was sharing with them there, how many relationships as an athlete, when you're riding on a plane and there are people who own businesses on the back of the plane yeah. and they walk right past you and they smile at you and you smile at them and, and then you play the game and then they get back on the plane and then they grab their bags, they go home and then they go to work. And you as an athlete did not connect with that person who runs businesses, those people on the backs of the plane, they run businesses, they're entrepreneurs. And how many times do you as an athlete not capitalize on that situation? Yeah. And so I just told them, you know, when there are opportunities like that to make sure that they have business cards available, you know, you and get that person's business card. So there, there are just lots of how many people um, work at banks, own banks, and they're riding on the planes. And, and eventually you may want to own your own business or something like that. And you need that relationship, but you never capitalized on it because you were just focused on the game. Well, that and also um, it's always easier to make a connection as an active player. Like, um, you know, I, yeah. it's pretty interesting. I mean, uh, you know, my career ended and, you know, I got hurt in 2008, retired in 2009. And it was really before the explosion of social media. And I kind of laugh and think back like, man, if my career either at social media had started sooner or if I had played longer and kind of hit that, um, how much easier it would have been to kind of seed some things, uh, you know, towards the end. But like, you know, at the end of the day, I remember my dad years ago was like, man, you should start a website. Or And I was like, well, what would I put on the website? Yeah. And uh, he was pretty funny because he's like, well, like, you know, you know, you like to work out. You do these things like why don't you just put your workouts and do some stuff on there. And I was like, ah, nobody would be interested in that stuff. And like I uh, like and then as I get out of my NFL career and we start putting up workouts, I remember I posted a workout and we got 17,000 hits that first day. And I remember thinking like, fuck, if I had done this when I was an active NFL player and I had this incredible yep. platform and people talked about it and, you know, hey, here's something I'm doing outside the game. It would have been so much easier to push out. But at the end of the day, um, uh, at least for me, and I, I'm, I'm sure for a lot of guys, they become like, uh, you know, horse blinders in a lot of ways. You get such tunnel vision. And if you yep. don't have somebody around you, you know, like these guys have the opportunity to listen to you, uh, you know, talking about like, take off the blinders. I realize the game is there, but you need to be cognizant of what's happening around you and the people and, you know, being smart. And I think uh, the one thing which, you know, I always appreciated uh, about, you know, a guy like Kaz and some of the, you know, the coaches and those people I, were, I was around is they were very, very interested. Um, you know, they played the game, but they were always big on like, you know, like, like what the bigger picture was. Mm -hmm. And I remember as an NFL player, um, you know, being so focused on the game and this and like, you know, realizing like, hey, when I'm done playing, I'll figure something else out. 
And uh, it just came down to just not really understanding it and really not having somebody around me who, who understood it in the way I did. I always think, man, if, uh, if my little boy had the opportunity to do what I did, how much more advice? I mean, my dad was an attorney and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, got up and went to work every day and this and, you know, was just a fan of football, but didn't really live in that life. And I think having somebody that can mentor players, that's why I always think it's so great, like, um, Tex and I went up, uh, we were working with some, you know, soon to be NFL players with, uh, uh, Dave Spitz out at uh, Cal strength. And we went over to Berkeley, my alma mater and, uh, went and saw the athletic department. I had, you know, paid and donated a locker and uh, I got to see Tark Smith who, mm-hmm. you know, I played with and then, you know, had a, you know, 10 year career with the Indianapolis Colts. And now he's back and he's working as an advisor and, you know, in the athletic department and mm-hmm. seeing him was like a, you know, brush of fresh air, uh, fresh air. I mean, we played on the same offensive line. I mean, we were in classes, like I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And, um, I asked him, I was like, man, like, how is it? He goes, oh, dude, these kids, man, they're, they, they have so much opportunity, but there's so many distractions. He goes, I don't know if we would have made it with this many distractions and with this much micro, you know, the bubble and this. And he's like, dude, these kids are under a microscope. I feel awful for them that they will never be anonymous. And uh, he's like, I just try to tell them, man, like, you know, where we might have fucked around and gotten some trouble. Y'all can't do that. Yeah. You know, right. the stupid shit we did, like, that doesn't exist anymore. Like, you guys are under this microscope 24 hours a day. And, like, right. you can either bitch about it or you can understand about it and, you know, try to foresee. And I was like, man, it's, I feel uh, so grateful that these kids have somebody like him and, mm-hmm. you know, people like you that have, uh, you know, gone to the farthest and seen it and seen this evolution that can kind of guide these kids. Because at the end of the day, I mean, 18, as you remember, man, 18 to 22-year-old kids, I mean, uh, their brain hasn't even hardened. Like, they're probably not smart enough to really even be there. (laughs) Not until they're, like, 26. So you're taking these young kids that are so impressionable. And, um, you know, they need mentors. They need people that are like, I understand, but, you know, let me help you get into the right lane. Right. And and, and I think they're, they're so much more receptive when you're authentic. If you're authentic, they will listen to you. They, and they can pick it up. I don't oh. I think they're better at picking that stuff up than we were. We just we just kind of someone was was speaking. We just feel oh, you, you have the credentials to stand up in front of us and speak. Now they they know what's uh, they know what's real and what's not. And why is they that? know if you. Yeah. Well, I, I really don't know. I, I want to know, though. I want to know. But I really don't know. Um, even when I was speaking to the, uh, the, the the few athletes I was speaking to a few weeks ago, I'm just thinking like, okay, what can I do to, uh, you know, I don't want to waste their time. I also don't want to come out like this lame old dude who, I was like, man, the one thing I know, I was like, if I'm myself, somehow I'll be okay. And it, and And they can just pick that up. I don't know why they can do that so well uh today but the, but they have their and they'll turn they'll tune you out well they'll pick up on it real fast if you're not authentic they'll tune you out so fast and you and you'll they'll be there they'll be there physically but they'll be somewhere else it's like i'm not listening to this person they're not giving me the real them and they're 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 just standing in front of me no i'm i'm somewhere else it's almost like uh, improved street smarts. Like uh, the kids are just, yeah. you know, maybe it's uh, social media or YouTube or something like there's, they have such uh, a much greater opportunity to hear. Um, like 
this was naive, but I, um, I always thought that like, you know, like I remember in college, like the first time we had to email over a paper and they talked about message boards and the World Wide web. I had this idea. I was like, man, like this is going to like catapult. Maybe this was like my Berkeley esque, um, you know, evolutionary, you know, utopia idea that like there was going to be this like massive, like exchanging of ideas that was going to happen. It's like such an incredible rate that like people were going to like, uh, you know, quantum leap problems, you know, and things that might've taken a hundred years, we're going to figure it out in a year. And, uh, then I just realized that like, you know, people were just looking for cat memes and it was like this, like, <laughs> you know, vision of like what I thought was possible. And, you know, and even to the point where like, you know, people were, became so interconnected that I thought like, ah, oh, you know what, maybe people be more callous, but then it was like, people were more outraged. And so I just sometimes wonder if like giving kids, I mean, th like I was trying to tell my daughters, uh, like when I tell them this stuff, they kind of laugh at me, but I tell them, I'm like, you know, back in the day, like we couldn't record shows. Like you turned on the TV and you, there was like seven channels and you just watched was it was ever on the TV. And if there was nothing good, we turned it off and just went outside and did something. We didn't really watch that mm -hmm. much TV. Now they can turn on the TV and with like recording and DVR and Netflix, like there's uh, always something to watch. And uh, yeah. they, they were like, so wait a minute, you just turned it on at random times to see if something was on. And they were like, well, how'd you know? I'm like, I don't know. We just guessed there was a book, but we never looked at it. We just hoped to turn something on or we knew what time the shows came on. And they were like, wow. And I told them like cartoons were only on Saturday morning. They were, I mean, <laughs> like, like these things blow their minds, but they have so much more opportunity to these things that I think right. it just um, like, I think the jury's still whether out, whether or not it's, it's, uh, it's helping or hurting. And, mm -hmm. you know. Well, is it also more possible that we've always been that perceptive, but only now or recently has there been such like a prolific, fraudulent fucking identity that people push out, whether it is on television or social media or like is reported in the news. And it's just like now instead of the... Um, uh, like watch out for the dude in the dark sunglasses in the weird rapey van with no windows. Like that was a red flag for us back when we were kids. Um, but now it's just like you start to see this body language of these shysters more uh, projected more frequently and they start to pick up on it. Right. And the nervous system just starts to see it. And then like the fake news thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just shit like that. But you even see it through like advertisements, like before and after. Like that's fucking bullshit. Like that's not real. But mm -hmm. we never thought that way as kids because you just there was an honest approach to certain marketing tactics, and then the shady stuff really started to catch on and make people money, and then that became like the new red flag. You know, mm -hmm. maybe this theory. I don't know. I um I was listening to uh, the Gary V. Um, you know, had some sound bites and I was on YouTube watching some things and he was telling kids about what a waste it is to go to college. And I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, like maybe for, you know, in a traditional sense, but like, you know, me as a student athlete, like I really wish I could have got into Berkeley. Um, the valedictorian in my high school didn't get accepted to Berkeley and uh, they were pissed that I did. And I remember mm -hmm. like being able to have that opportunity. And once I got there, like feeling like I'm a, I'm an athlete that only got into this school, even though my SATs and my grades were good, but I got in here because of playing football and then showing up and realizing like my first day in class, like, uh, you know, should I be here and having these kind of self doubts and then being able to learn and go do the work. And I've told these guys the story. Um, I had a professor named Pedro Nogueira, um, in like my freshman year. And I remember I was in class and he stopped me after and he was like, Oh, you play football. And I was like, yeah. He's like, uh, um, I don't want you to wear your football stuff to class. I don't want you to wear sweats. 
like wear a set of jeans, like dress up a little bit. Um, if you had glasses, I want you to wear them. Uh, don't, you know, like, uh, don't carry a gym bag, get a backpack. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, uh, people will judge you as an athlete that you shouldn't belong. If you look like an athlete, he's like, I tell all the black players the same thing. They don't always listen, but he's like, as a white, uh, you know, and, and even then he talked about like, you know, like, uh, you know, white oppressors and this, he goes at Berkeley, that's a very real thing. He goes, I've been in, you know, anthropology, I've done this. And he's like, there's a definitely a prevalent view that as this, uh, you know, male white oppressor football player, like there's a lot of fucking, uh, things that are going to be stacked against you and you mm-hmm. don't need to help them. So I'm telling you fucking don't wear that shit. Don't wear your football stuff. Like wear a collared shirt, do this. You got to, you know, and he even said, he's like, you wear glasses. I'm like, yeah, I don't wear, yeah, I do. Uh, I don't wear them all the time. He's like, wear them to class. And he's like, I want you to sit in front and I want you to pretend like you're a student for the hours that you're here. And the day, you know, all of a sudden when you walk up the hill, you go play football. I want you to switch back, but you almost have to have like a, a you know, personality disorder that you're, a, um, you know, and he's like, don't ever use the excuse of like a football or this. He goes, it'll fucking fry you. And he goes, and people will stack the deck against you. And it was um, a really fucking amazing, like at the time I was super pissed. I was like, you know, who the fuck does this guy think he is? And then you realize like he didn't, he, he wasn't telling me to, to shame me in any way. He was helping me understand the game a little bit and that the yeah. game had to be played. And that, um, you know, that uh, even at a place like Berkeley and, you know, at Pac-12, you know, major division one school, that there will be faculty members and people there that feel that you do not belong and shouldn't be there. And they will fucking be negative towards you. And I remember like, okay, and, um, you know, and just like, I'm sure, you know, this happened to you like many times in your life, um, you're presented with two mindsets where somebody tells you something, you either like, you know, the fuck you, they don't know me or this and the combative or the empty your cup, Bruce Lee and be like, you know, I, I can't drink your water if, if I'm full of mine. So I emptied my cup, listen to the man and did that. And I ended up doing very well because of it, where people would be like, ah, I thought you played football because you're a big dude, but I would have never, you know, you don't wear any football stuff. Like you never gave that away. And uh, yeah. I just think like at a place like Berkeley and when I talked to other guys, once I was in the NFL, they did not have that experience at all. Like the guys at Florida state were like, are you fucking kidding me? We wore all of our shit because like that was guaranteed, you know? So it was just such a different, like, uh, like, and you know, different players, you know, sec and that type of stuff. I mean, the Texas, the same thing, like, but I went to, you know, number one public institution and there was definitely a prevailing attitude that like, you know, these guys shouldn't be here. And mm-hmm. it was just, uh, um, it was very interesting that like, even at 18 years old, I had to understand that game. It's, it's, uh, funny. You, you mentioned that and you, I don't, I probably shouldn't say this cause I'll give away one of my secrets, uh, that I discovered by accident. Um, so I wear glasses and there was one day, um, uh, I didn't wear, I, I, cause, but I usually wear contacts. There was one day I, I wore my eyeglasses and about about halfway through the day, I realized, what is going on? Today is just weird. And it wasn't me. It was the way people were interacting with me because of the perception of just wearing eyeglasses. And, um, and so I was like, oh, oh, got it. Well, in certain situations and scenarios, when I need to uh, look less like an athlete, uh, and just be seen as maybe more of an intellectual. Pulled out the Clark Clint, the the Clark Kent sunglasses. I was, was going to say the same thing, man. I mean, uh, 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 Superman was able to disguise and fool all those people just to set a, a set of glasses. Which I was always like, how do they not know it? Oh, they took off the glasses. It, it changed him. 
but, uh, but it, yeah. But John, you kind of look like him, though. I mean, if you do the <laughs> Hold little on, curl, I'll, yeah, I'll get a little you, curl going. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it it um, uh, it, it's pretty fascinating, man. Like I um, uh, I always thought that, like you know, for me, um, you know, like I my goal was to go to law school and be an attorney, like in our family business, and. Uh, I always, you know, really enjoyed, especially when I did my master's work, the fact that I got to do student teaching and I got to work with the kids and this. And uh, I'd always thought that it was extremely rewarding to have somebody who had, you know, gone. Because I, I can think of uh, when we were in college, like Dave Zawatson, who played for the Chicago Bears, he came back and he was one of our GAs. And we always had these ex-NFL guys that came back as GAs. And the information and like the nuance of the game that they taught us, like, mm-hmm was so valuable like to this day like things i remember dave watson showing me two scars on his elbows where he had, had both elbows dislocated because he was punching people with his thumbs down as opposed from thumbs up and then when they were going to slap and break his arms you know his elbow wasn't breaking he was hyperextending. and i remember him like showing me that and being like let me show you what i did and this is a result if you do this you won't have that problem i mean like those moments and him and him working on it and having guys like that who had played at the highest level giving you nuance in the game and then all of a sudden you're looking at this guy and you're like fuck man this guy played seven eight years in the nfl and you know he's not that much different than me and then it becomes something that that we believe to be attainable much like you know sitting in class in the same way and you know you're sitting there in class with people and you're in groups and you're working and all of a sudden you're handing in papers and you're getting good grades back and you're like huh uh like this isn't so far away and this isn't different than the minute that all of a sudden you and you know this as the the minute that there's a common bridge and we feel that we're on a similar level like i'm not you know i'm not drowning anymore now i can kind of push and i think like that's where you know your role becomes so important in that giving these kids uh, an opportunity to see like what can be attained yeah yeah it's uh for sure for sure um that that has been one of the uh the most positive parts of my my job i love what i do but anytime i can be around the athletes because i i've seen i've been around it so long i i can identify with so many of their experiences and really it's just uh helping them to be a little bit more aware of their current situation just just helping them to just see something one step further than what they are currently seeing if you can just do that and just open their minds to say there is something else to what I'm doing. There's something a little bit beyond what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing. And if I'm aware of those things, it will help me in my current situation. And, and they love that because how many times as an athlete or not as an athlete do you say, wow, if I had known then what I know now. And anytime you can give them that, any, especially as an athlete, because I mean, how many times as a 10 year vet, John, you, if I had known that when I was a rookie, I mean, I would have been, and you would have been, you, you would have been whatever it is that, that you, that you think you could have been had you known that information. So they, they want that information. Young people want that information. Tell, help them to see, um, someone once told me, help them to see, the the 40 year version of themselves like if it just helped not not you but help them to see the, the 20 years from from 
at that point, help them to see that version of themselves. If you can help them to do that, that's a huge victory. Huge. Can you dive into the the mental performance aspect? We talked about creating this this idea of a possibility or fulfilling their potential as an athlete, but then the challenge of communicating that to someone who may have a low picture of themselves versus the athlete that has a very high picture of themselves that may not be accurate and they may not, both of them may not be open to the constructive feedback that you can offer. So what's your practice for the low guy? What's your practice for the high guy and how they can really unlock that potential that they have within them? If so, everyone's going to be at different points um, in terms of where, where you, where, a team is mentally. Um, you're going to have people that are on the high end and you're going to have people on the low end. And, um, and, and a lot of times what you might think as a coach or someone looking from the outside in is you may perceive someone as being on the high end, they're on the low end and vice versa. Uh, and the, the biggest takeaway from the mental side is just like you practice things physically to develop them as skills there are mental skills as well. And the, let's just take one of the skills, the, the skill of positive self-talk. Like that's actually a skill. Most of our self-talk is negative. Research says that 80% of people's self-talk is negative. 80%. So four out of five thoughts people have are negative. When we had someone come in and assess our team, we thought we would give them the list of players that we thought had motivational issues. Well, when the assessments came back, only one of them, only one out of 25 maybe, had a motivational issue. The biggest thing that we were dealing with and the challenges they were dealing with was negative self-talk. It was off the charts. And we're all thinking like, really? Like we didn't put them on the list because we think they're negative people or or negative. No, we we put them because we just thought motivationally, they just don't seem to have it every day. So what we had to do was learn how to teach them to to, um, educate them on how the brain works in terms of thought process. So it goes, you can only think one thought at a time. Um, it, you, now you can have multiple thoughts in rapid succession. So, and you can have multiple thoughts per second, but if, but if you have a negative thought, all you have to do is replace it with a positive thoughts because two thoughts cannot exist at the same time. Now, people, some people, Oh, I'm not, not to cut you off, but there's an old Japanese samurai proverb that says, uh, don't speak ill of yourself because the warrior within will start to believe it. And like, I always thought that like, uh, I mean, and I think that's in like Mushiashi's book of five rings where it talks about like, you know, that, uh, you can poison, if you speak ill of yourself, you'll basically poison your inner warrior and say, and he'll start mm-hmm. to believe it. And I always thought like, man, like, <laughs> like that, uh, I just remember reading that like shit 20 some years ago and thinking like, all right, if I can trick my inner warrior into thinking I'm better than I am, you know? Yep. And it's amazing yep. how, how many people don't, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy kind of a deal. Yep. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's, there's research that shows how our minds affect our brains. So like your brain is the physical organ. 
but your thoughts and your thoughts can actually shape the pathways and how your brain is developing. So if you can think positive, so people that think negative have these grooves. It's like a track, like a, a, a road that somehow has the, 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 the undulating, you know, where the tires are always going down that path and, the, and your car just wants to be in that, that groove. Um, if you, if you are so, if, if you're thinking negative all the time, that's, that's your default. And, um, it, and it takes in society, there's a lot of things that are coming at us that, that says it's okay to think negative. Uh, but the people that are most successful find ways to override that. It, you know, John, you're not going to find guys in the NFL at the highest level that are going around telling themselves they suck. I've, I've told these guys the story. Uh, we were going to play uh, Indianapolis Colts in the, um, in the uh, playoffs. Uh, we had a wild card game and uh, Willie Rofe ended up getting hurt uh, like in that last, uh, last game of the year. And uh, his back was messed up and he wasn't going to be able to play. And so his backup, um, you know, I was playing right tackle, Willie's playing left. And I, we had our swing backup um, who was also a guard, inside guard guy as well. Uh, you know, it's his job. He's a, you know, three, four year guy and he's going to have to go play for Willie at left tackle against Dwight Freeney in his prime and Indianapolis on the turf and, you know, the first round of the playoffs at a night game. And I remember we're watching, you know, film all week and, you know, prepping him and, you know, extra reps and guys are giving him information and, you know, uh, you know, don't buy into the fright night stuff and you got to keep a positive mental attitude and you got to assume when you're walking out there, you're going to be the best. And all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's in, he's in. And I remember we go out for, uh, pregame warm-up and we come back in and you know you got about 20 minutes and the prayer's the whole deal and I remember we're walking out and getting ready to run out of the tunnel and he's standing next to me and I remember he looked at me and he uh goes uh you know Dwight Freeney's just a man right and I'm like what do you mean he's like well I mean like how good could he really be he's just a man and I remember like all of a sudden you remember the scene in uh, Gladiator when the dude pisses himself and he like takes like a big step away from him all of a sudden I just took like a huge step away from him <laughs> and uh, we ran out there, and I remember the very first play, Dwight Freeney threw this nasty spin and sacked the quarterback, and, like, that was it for the dude. He, I mean, he was beat before we walked out there. He was beat yeah. on every play. And I remember, like, the second series, all of a sudden I'm standing there playing right tackle, and I see my backup come running in. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I see him come running in, and he's like, hey, John, they want you to play uh, left tight end. And I'm like, left tight end? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, you're going to play left tight end. They want you to get on the line. And uh, basically, they want you to try to jump set and knock out Freeney. And I was like, all right. So he came in at right tackle. I went to left tight end, which I had never played. I mean, I knew the plays. And uh, they were like, hey, we're going to leave you in at left tight end. And we're going to get uh, Freeney wide. I want you to basically set and take a shot at him. And uh, we'll try to double team him. And I was like, holy mm -hmm. shit, man. We're fucking, we had not rehearsed this. This was basically just fucking, the, you know, something out of the deal. And yeah. uh, I just remember, like, I've told these guys the story before, but like, man, it's, uh, it's rare that I've seen a person defeat themselves like that. And, yeah. uh, you know, I like that, like, it's, it's pretty amazing where, you know, if, um, you know, if you dream or you, you know, let in your worst fear, your worst, worst fear becomes a reality and that happens in the NFL all the time. And like that type of stuff where like, you know, the positive mental attitude, or I'm going to go out there and I'm going to dominate. This is going to be the game that's going to allow me to, to, you know, build upon and be able to show that I deserve to be there. And, and anything short of that is, is unacceptable is the way that I always viewed it. And, um, you know, I always looked at it like who's ever going to line up for me is going to be a long fucking day for them. And I've done all the work. 
And I yeah. just remember like him saying that. And like all of a sudden it was like a fucking movie clip went in front of my face. I'm like, oh, this dude just pissed. I was like, I'm going to take a step away from him. And uh, fuck, he ran out there and got killed. It was um, yeah, very interesting how like people have that self-fulfilling, you know, yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy. It, yeah, ab- absolutely. Is I had a, in the preseason, we are playing against the Vikings and Corey Stringer was playing right tackle. I was playing left end. And I remember for uh, three plays, two plays, I think it was two plays in a row, I'm going around the edge. And I was, I had a really good game. Um, I'm going around the edge, and I'm, I remember thinking, um, I think a timeout was called. And uh, I remember thinking, I'm going to beat Corey Stringer to the inside. I'm beating him. I've got him set up. The, he's the biggest man I've ever. I was going to say you were giving away about a hundred pounds. He was. Uh, oh, he since died. Man, so he was. I mean, but yeah. I and so we break the huddle, and I go out there and I look up and they had pulled Corey String out of the game because he was the starter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so it was a preseason second series. They they took him out. Huh? Oh fuck. So so, but you know what? Um, you know, and I know he's no longer with us. Yeah. But um, man. I, I just still, to this day, I, I will tell you I was going to beat him <laughs> if they left him in the game. If they left him in the game, I, I had the inside. And so it's just that powerful that, you know, that was, that was over 20 years ago. I just yeah. remember that, uh, that positive affirmation was so strong in my head. And I was like, man, I don't care how big he is. I don't care. I'm going to beat him. And, and, uh, for me, it's, it, that's, that's how, uh, you know, that's how I coached athletes to be. And so that's why it was important for me to go back and get, uh, my doctorate in, in sports psychology because so many, uh, so because we had achieved so much success physically that we had, we had almost maxed out and, um, we were in the big 12 championship and we lost. And one of the captains after the game said, coach, we work so hard. Like, who works harder than us? What's missing? And I'm thinking, like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. And I just started doing research and just started realizing we don't – we talk about mental toughness and, and, and being mentally strong. We don't – we don't re- – we try to do it through sprints. And we try to do it like, like at that point, that player you were lined up next to, John, had done how many sprints? How many sprints had he done in his life? How many up downs? How many weightlifting sessions? How, I mean, he was an NFL player. How much more could he have done physically? He got beat by mentally defeating himself, and so and 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 so his physical physical conditioning is different than mental conditioning. A lot of times we try to say it's the same, and yeah, they have impacts on each other, but they are different. They they are different. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's what I try to help the athletes learn and teach them. And um, the, the thing that they taught me is that those things apply more, more than just to sport. Like they apply to life. Like I had athletes telling me, coach, I've been using, I use my mental skills on taking a final today. That blew my mind. Like that is not why I was teaching it. I was not teaching it. I was trying to, we were trying to win football games. And now you're coming back telling me how it just helped you, um, in, in class, and, and there was one athlete that uh, 
I was coaching at Arkansas State. He was having some anger issues. So I, 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 I drew it up on the dry erase board right there in the weight room. This is how it works. This is how the brain processes anger. These, these are the things you can do to override it. He took a picture of it, went home and taught it to his girlfriend, came back and told me and said, Coach, I taught it to my girlfriend so she can help me. Um, you, you went to Mizzou, and then uh, where'd you get your, uh, your master's? At Mizzou. At, at Mizzou, and then you got your PhD at? Mizzou. Oh, all, all there. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, yeah, I didn't. I mean, I knew you had your doctorate. I just didn't know that you had, uh, you know, I mean, how cool is it that you got to, you know, not only get your master's, but your doctorate at the same place you played your college ball, which is cool. That, and, and, uh, and doing it and getting my doctorate while I was the head strength and conditioning coach. Oh, wow. That there were times I was, I would go and coach in the morning, leave the weight room, go down the hallway because we had class in the same building because our director of sports psych was also a faculty um, on campus and he taught classes in the building in the training facility. So a lot of the, so athletic trainers for, um, the, the, um, the academic people, academic counselors took, we were taking the same classes. I would go to class and learned I had just screwed up what I was trying to build. I remember one day we were, <laughs> we were talking about confidence, like, okay, how do you build confidence? Okay. How do you destroy confidence? And I'm sitting there in class and I was probably the oldest person in class at that point. And, I, and, I, and I'm responsible for the football team's strength and condition at, at an SEC school. And, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I just destroyed confidence today. Doing what typical coaches usually do. Yeah. Saying the things that typical, typical coaches usually say. I remember having to go to the football team the next day and apologize for what I did the day before, letting them know I would never do it again and that I needed them to help me to stay accountable because we were trying to win championships. And I remember them looking at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what was your doctoral thesis in? Or like, what would you write it on? I studied, it was... Uh, Exploring the lived psychosocial experience of elite National Football League players. You know, uh, my master's thesis, which is funny because um, I uh, I did my master's in my fifth year, and then I I went and you know got drafted by the Eagles, and then I had to do um, my master's thesis uh, was based on like why professional or why why collegiate athletes are so quick to leave college to go to professional sports. And my, mm -hmm. uh, my advisor time, a guy named Herb Simons, he was like, you know, you can only really write this after you go play in the NFL. So what I want you to do is not hand it in. I want you to write it. Then I want you to hand it in in a year or two when you have a, uh, a, a you know, uh, like truly wow. a beneficial perspective of this. And I remember I was in my third, maybe I was in my fourth year and he asked me to come back and speak. And so I went back and spoke and, uh, I didn't really understand about like virtue signaling and I didn't really understand about like how there was like this massive disconnect between like the people in academia and like really what's happening in the real world. And so as I sat in front of this group, like people were super combative with me about what they thought was happening in professional sports. And I was like, I, I was like the dude who has a locker next to me ordered 26 pairs of rims at a grand a piece drop 26 grand on rims and they delivered them to the building. 26 pair of what? A rims. 
like 24 rims. inch rims, rims, first car, first truck, because he was, uh, he, uh, the highways in Philly were real shitty. So he was cracking, you know, little paper thin tires, kept cracking rims. So he just bought like 26 pairs of rims. And if he broke one, he was just going to go get them replaced. So they were like, you know, 500 bucks a piece, dropped 26 grand on rims. And then they, they had him delivered to the facility and they were in front of his locker and he did it and had no concept of one, how to get him home or two, what the fuck he was going to do with 26 pairs of rims. And so he ended up having to like pay the equipment dude to put him in the back because I mean it was fucking blocking everything, and like I just I brought that story up and I'm like, so the problem is is that like like that was just one example of the crazy shit that I saw. Yeah. So I I got up and I started just talking about like you know what I had observed and I was like you know um, part of the problem is is that there's uh, a lot of guys aren't I mean they're sold on this idea of like hey come and get a degree. But like because they don't have um, either like somebody in their life, like a mentor, a parent or somebody who has gone this road, it doesn't like there's no um, what's the word uh, like point of reference. So like, you know, like it's not like, you know, like my dad had gone to college and, you know, put himself through school and, you know, gone to law school and this. So I, I knew what an advanced degree could do. And I saw, you know, what it did for my brother. So a lot of guys, you know, they were the first ones to go to college in their family. Right. They're there on this scholarship. They're there to play football. But, you know, they're the likelihood that they're going to go to play in the NFL is so small. But of course, everybody that shows up is going to the league the first day. And I remember like, uh, trying to explain to these people at the graduate school. I'm like, you know, the problem comes down to is when we bring in the young athletes and their parents and this, and this is a systemic problem that, you know, they're just there as a way station before they can hop to the NFL. Cause that's the goal. The goal in their community and for how they're raised isn't a degree. It's go play in professional sports, you know, be on TV, do these things. And it just mm -hmm. is a segmented piece. So the quicker they can hop. And I was like, you know, it comes, it's a systemic problem. It's broken from, uh, you know, as a young age, because the, the, the individual, and it's not a, a, a black problem. It's not a white problem. Or a, it's a it's just a cultural issue because I knew white dudes in the same deal, and uh, like we have to start emphasizing this. And um, and I was like, and on top of it, like the way the athletes are treated here, like you know, like uh, you know, guys are living on top ramen, and then all of a sudden, shit, I can go play, you know, potentially get to go play in the NFL, where now I can, you know, eat whatever I want. So I was like, if we could fix some of these issues, like put a training table in, have these guys have mentors, and and really just try to fix some of these issues, I think guys would be more apt to stay longer. But at the end of the day, you have such a small opportunity to go play professional sports. This school's been here for a hundred years; it's not going anywhere. I can always come back and like uh, just the, I guess you could say the truthful nature of the discussion was not very well received. And, uh, and then was crazy was, uh, about six months later, my advisor passes away. Mm. He just dies suddenly. And then I reached out and I was like, Hey, I want to hand this back in. And they were like, no, we won't accept it. You have to re-enroll and we re go back to school. And they never would accept my master's thesis. So I didn't wow. get my thesis. And, uh, it literally, I realized at that point, that I should have just fucking played the game and told these people what they wanted to hear and not have been so combative. But I was young and had brash and had this chip on my yeah. shoulder and wanted to educate these people yeah. on how it is in the real world when I realized that a lot of times people are just looking to have their confirmation or their, their biases confirmed. Yeah. And um, I think that's what's really interesting uh, and I was going to ask you, and that was a long-winded way to get me to what I want to ask you, is how do you in your role, knowing what you know, how do you balance, uh, like 
the confirmation bias of like the people on this side of the administration and the coaches and the athletes where like you actually know the way the game is played in this, but there's a lot of like, you know, and you, and you remember we used to joke all the time where we'd be like, you know, uh, football is number two and yeah. sports or, you know, and school is number one, you know, that whole deal. Right. Uh, like, how do you balance that? Like, how do you like work within the confirmation bias when you're like, I know what you want me to tell you, but it doesn't do anybody any benefit to tell them what they want to hear and not what's the truth. Because being in those situations where I did speak up, there were times when it did backfire. And so I, I had to learn. So I'll give you an example. I was in a, um, I had a speech class in college and I took this class very serious. And the teacher, I, growing up in inner city, Detroit, Michigan, you're never, uh, you don't understand conservatives, liberals, politics. You don't understand that stuff. That stuff's never talked about. It was never talked about in my house. It was never talked about on my block. It was never talked about in school. I didn't understand how people's, what their views were and how they used that lens to see things how they want. So I didn't understand. So, so the teacher says, okay, if, uh, if you all have a son and your son is playing with baby dolls, how many of you would stop them from doing that? I'm going like, no one else raised their hand. I'm like, I'm like, oh, she went, oh, and why would you stop your son from playing with baby dolls? It's like, because it's other things to do. Other things to play with. And she went, I didn't know, I didn't understand the agenda that she was operating from. And my, my grade in class went from an A, like the rest of the people in my group, down to a C. And I remember thinking like, Okay, one, the teacher gets the last, the teacher always wins, all right? Don't ever understand that, the teacher wins. It's like, man, I, had, I worked hard for my grades. I went from an A to a C, just because I spoke up about what my true beliefs were. Okay, all right, so I was like, one, learn that lesson. Um, then uh, I had a position working on campus, um, and inclusion, diversity, and equity. And after working for many years in athletics, so I was an assistant vice chancellor working on access and leadership development. And I spoke up in one of the meetings about my experiences as an athlete. And when I spoke up in the room, I realized I shouldn't have spoke up in that room. Me speaking up in that room represented something that was the problem. A male in athletics was a problem in that area. So I learned, okay, keep your mouth shut because the you're six foot five, 260, former athlete, <laughs> ball, you represent the problem in this area. Okay. Um, so I learned not to say things. So uh, that's, I, I use those two examples to say I'm always – constantly analyzing 
what is the overall tone in a room and what's the beliefs in a room? And is it more conservative, more liberal, more this, more that? And then I try to not necessarily give my opinion, but maybe just state some facts as I know them. And that way I seem to be able to navigate those, those waters where people are setting traps for you to fall in to make themselves feel more comfortable. So I, that's, that's kind of the way I, I try to do it. Um, I just realized that there are a lot of traps out there and people are looking to make their point and, and, com so, and confirm their beliefs. And while I'm trying to serve at the same time, I also have to be aware that um, sometimes I'm swimming with sharks. My dad told me a long time ago, um, it's better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're a fool than open your mouth and prove it. And I remember he my dad, I've told um, these guys, my dad since passed away, but my dad was real smart. And uh, so I grew up with a really intelligent, very condescending dad and father, which I think has really prepared me for just about anything in life. But I remember him telling me that. And then the other piece he said, he goes, um, you don't have to prove to everybody how smart you are all the time. And that was a real big thing because I always kind of had this chip on my shoulder, you know, at Berkeley and, you know, going through these things. Like I always was felt like I was treated like... Um, you know, like a bit, a bit of a second class citizen, which is really interesting, um, <laughs> you know, where you get into this and this isn't, you know, uh, I argued with somebody one time on this. I'm like, this isn't a, a, a color issue. It's how people view athletes. You know, if mm -hmm. you're a big white dude, you're some dopey country boy who, you know, fucking, you know, bales hay all day. Or if you're, you know, some black kid, you know, you grew up without a father and, you know, if you weren't doing this, you'd be in jail. So, I mean, they administrators have these preconceived notions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the hard thing is, is um, most stereotypes and most preconceived notions stem from something. The problem is, is that uh, putting people with those labels just fucking puts them in boxes, which is never fair. Like the person I was at 18 isn't the same person I was at 23 or 25 and 27. And just like the opportunity to not only go to class, read and reflect and think and grow and do all these things like that. There's no allowance for that to be like, well, yeah, that might have been true of me at 18, me, but 22, now that I've had the four years of opportunity of sitting through these courses and, you know, reading everything from, you know, Marcus Aurelius to, you know, uh, to Cicero and all this and like analyzing myself, like, why wouldn't I've come out of the fire on the other side, you know, being, you know, somewhat more uh, interreflective and understanding and more formulate these things. And like the person I was then isn't now. And I remember, um, that there was this feeling by like staff and other students in this, that like, you know, as professional athletes, we are, you know, kind of these second class citizens. And I remember when I did my master's work and I got the student teach and I got to go, you know, I was, uh, doing my GA stuff and there were a bunch of freshmen in my class and trying to explain to them being like, Hey man, like, you don't have to let who you are today define you who you are from four years from now. Like your job as an individual is to grow. It's like, if you're not this, if you're the same player at 22 that you were at 18, you're not getting to the fucking NFL. Like, mm -hmm. why would you think that your development as a human being stops here at 18? Like I would be ecstatic to come back. And I, I, I ran into young guys who I knew at 18, um, in the NFL that were now five years later, six years later, and now in the NFL. And I remember them as young kids and seeing how far they had grown and just like one, you know, giving them a hug and being like, I'm so stoked that you got here one. And I'm so, so excited to see what you've done. And, um, 
I don't always know if like the administrators or the people, at least when I was in college, they wanted that as much. It was easier just to put people in boxes and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and say, oh, that's the label this. And, you know, this is the way the preconceived notions go. And I always thought it was so dangerous because I'm like, man, isn't the idea of like people coming here and like the reason you train and you lift weights and you run is like physical growth. But there's also this like massive growth of bringing people into these environments, putting them around all these people and being around mentors and whatnot and then watching them grow and blossom. And that's the best part of this. And I remember like explaining this to some people and them just giving me like blank stare and having no fucking concept of who I was or that this was like what I was hoping for and just being like, fuck, like, why am I the only one that sees this and why like, and then that's when I realized that sometimes that isn't always what's in everybody's best interest, you know? Right. I I had a coach that I'll never forget this, but he said, you'll be remembered for what you're not supposed to do. And I took (laughs) that as... Or, so explain that. You're not, you'll always I, be remembered for what you're not supposed to do. Yes. So a, a coach would put a, a label on you of like you're a JV player and not accepting that and putting in the extra time or effort or focus to take the next step. Or, uh, yeah, this is not working out for you. Or the coach is putting you in different positions as, as an athlete, but not accepting that and working and building an esteem around that label that the coach put on you or this is our top recruit and them not putting the coaching time into you. So just, I, I took it as the, I'm not going to accept the label uh, or performance label or athletic. It was athletic coach or accept anything, but still start to build the, the, the perception of my own reality. So that would be as successful as an athlete. So you'll be remembered for what you're not supposed to do. And that's, that's just how I took it and turned it into athletics. And, um, I just, I don't know, thought of that when you were explaining that, John, just kind no, of a, it's, a connected. It's, well, and, and um, what's pretty interesting is um, I, I always think, too, that sometimes like the mark of an individual is how um, people remember you. Like I thought it was uh, I like I, I do this to these guys, to the guys all the time where I'm always like, man, like and I do this constantly, like over time. You're like, man, was I really that good at my job or was I a fraud? You know, like I kind of constantly play this game with myself and then uh, we'll run into people and they'll be like, no, you were pretty good. I'm like, I didn't suck. Huh? And they're like, no. Or like when I ran into Kaz and Kaz gave me a hug, he's like, man, it's so good to see you. And like I hadn't seen Kaz in 10 years. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like like seeing an old friend and like basically like, you know, embracing him like old friends. And like, you know, realize, cause I'm sure you've done the same thing, man. You see people and you're like, fuck man. Like I, uh, I really enjoy being around you. And like, you know, and like that was a, for me, that's a greater mark opposed from like people I used to know where you like would turn and just walk away or be like, yeah, mm-hmm. they have fucking, that guy was an asshole then. And I, I, I don't have a minute for him now. And, um, to me, that's, uh, always a greater validation, um, of me as a human and me as like, you know, who I was that I can, you know, see an old friend like a guy like has and be like, you know, and shit, give him a hug and be like, dude, it's so good to see you. I'm so stoked. And, uh, or, you know, during his talk, him like referencing me, which kind of made me laugh. And dude, I, uh, you know, and to see what he's done and like, it just, it's always exciting for me when I, uh, you know, because I think what's cool is, uh, you know, you have connections with people and then you don't have connections. And when they come back, it's always great to see not only what they're doing, but see their successes. And I've always been somebody personally that like I celebrate in my friend's successes. Like I know some people always like hope for the worst. Like I'm so excited when people are successful and they tell me great shit. Like I just want to know all the great stuff. And I want to like I want to take part in the celebration of like you kicking ass because I feel like anybody that I ever worked with or anybody I was friends, if they have great success, then that just 
you know, means that everybody should have success. Whereas I think you run into people that kind of constantly hope for the worst. And uh, it's always nice when you see people that like have that same attitude. Like when I ran into Kaz, he's like, man, I love what you're doing. And like, it just, it, uh, it was good for my soul and it's good to work. And it's, it, dude, and it's killer to like, not only hear you present and then follow you and read all the information and realize that like, it's, uh, it's such a great resource for those people, for those kids, because at the end of the day, I think sometimes administrations and these schools lose sight that like they're in the job of developing these young people into who we need them to be. And this is the this is the social contract you make when they get a scholarship. They come to school. You know, you as a parent, you know, you as a coach, tell their parents, "I'll take care of these kids. We're going to get them a degree. We're going to get them as far as we can." And like that social contract becomes so important. Yeah, and this uh, is is so much more of a business than we promote it to be. It is a it, you are running a a multi million dollar corporation. And uh, there, there's a, <laughs> and you have to be successful, and and you're competing against other people. It's it is it's just not like it used to be. I'm I'm sure when 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 college athletics first started many years ago, hundred plus years ago, it was just something that was in addition to additional experience for the, for their students. And now it's become something that is almost separate from the university, but at the same time, it's the front porch of the university. So there are so many meetings that we have that deal with the bottom line, because that's the reality. The reality is TV contracts, coaches contracts, Budgets, revenues, expenses. Uh, um, it's a lot of that. And, and so you have to make those things work. And then a lot of times the athletes, the, the purpose of why we're supposed to be here gets lost. It's like, you're, we're supposed to be here to develop these athletes. And then, but a lot of places like, well, that's what the coaches are for. And so now you ha- we've pulled the coaches we've limited the amount of time coaches can spend with athletes. They can spend more time. The, the, the athletic trainer and the strength and conditioning coach spends more time with the athletes than their coaches do by rule. We, we will have, we will pull coaches out of the meeting rooms into a meeting room with a donor in a heartbeat. Not saying that's what we do here. I'm just saying in general, you have donors, you have people that are donating money, and then you, you're living off of these donations to, to help supplement the rest of the, the revenue. It's, it's such a business. Um, and and the, best, the best places have the, be, the best leaders that are committed to peak the athletes. And so you, it's important to be with an athletics director that says, hey, the health and safety and the it is and just as important as the performance of our student athletes on the field, and and a lot of times people ascend to leadership roles because of their ability to to uh, generate revenue. You know, it used to be the athletics directors were a lot of the former coaches. When you so a coach running the uh, the ship as an AD would be a lot different than um, someone who came through the business office 
and they were in external operations and they were in charge of uh, endowments. And then all of a sudden they're running the athletics department. It's, it's going to look a lot different. Um, I went to a conference probably seven years ago about young, young aspiring athletic directors conference. And someone asked the question, what do you need to, we need to focus on to really to uh, move into those AD roles. And they said, you need fundraising experience. That was the number one thing to be in a, to, to run an athletics department. The number one thing you needed on your resume was fundraising experience. So, you know, that, that just kind of tells you, you know, that how much of a business college athletics is, um, do you and, think it can no. survive? I mean, uh, it, it feels like uh, two, you know, uh, horses pulling each other apart that, you know, you have for-profit universities that are, you know, I mean, you know, with raising, you know, costs of tuition and this and TV deals. I just wonder, like, the uh, if the business aspect kind of, you know, is juxtaposed, like, directly opposition to the mission of the university to educate and, you know, and, and what, what you tell parents when you sit in recruiting trips about, you know, I want, you know, I want to, I want to see your kid graduate in four years. I want him to play. I want to be healthy. I want him to be safe. You know, I, I honestly feel that, um, most coaches, that's what they want. Most coaches do feel that most coaches do want the athletes to come and play, to be successful in the classroom, on the field and in life. In my experience, most coaches want that. Um, uh, it's just that a lot of things seem to be just as important as that. And, and so these are, these are co the best coaches have to be able to balance that. They have to be able to balance the development of their student athletes along with the business that they are a part of. So when you get to the end of this thing, um, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, uh, how do you want to be remembered? <sighs> You know, I, I would say uh, someone who tried to bring out the best in everyone around them. That's that. That's it. I, uh, I'm. Um, that's it. Just someone that just tried to bring out the best and help people to be the best version of themselves they could be. I agree with that. Noble. Anything else, boys? No, it's good. I think that's a great one to end on. Hey, Pat, thanks for your time, man. I'd, super, super informative. Uh, if folks want to jump on to um, your social media or follow you, where, where could they go, whether it's webpage, social accounts, whatever? Where do you want to go? Um, they can find me at pativy.com. That's probably the best way. All of my contact information is there. You can follow my podcast, uh, Beyond Sets and Reps. Uh, so I'm just trying to help people and pass information along and uh, yeah. Well, you're doing a great job and, uh, the message is, is, um, is not only authentic, but it's super sharp and it's, it's a very, it's always, in, it's always, um, good for me. And I always enjoy seeing people that have a very well-polished image and like a polished message. And like, it looks like it's put together and packaged in such a way where I look and I'm like, man, that's, that's switched on. It's good. Cause we see people all the time where it just looks very haphazard and, uh, uh what you're doing is, is, is needed and it's uh it's good to see so i'm always stoked when uh when uh you know friends and other nfl players go on and do great things and uh just yeah. you know inspires so thank you very much for coming on and uh dude so stoked to connect thank you all appreciate you you got it and that's another episode of premium podcast
strength and conditioning. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Check out the Doc's podcast, Beyond Sets and Reps, by going to his website, www.pativy.com. There you'll find a number of articles written by him and a lot of resources to develop your athletes. Until next time, bye! Bye!